into Monday, the last Monday of July on the Piero Pelka podcast. Mike Opelka with you. You know, it's the last Monday of July this year for everybody's podcast, not just mine. Everybody. We're all in the same calendar. I don't know why I claimed it. I guess I just was out of control. But yeah, it's the last Monday podcast in the month of July. And I, for one, will be glad to see July go. Because the sooner we get to the midterm elections, the sooner things are going to be moving in a better direction. I firmly believe that. I absolutely firmly believe that. I am uh, hopeful that we will take back the House. We will take back the Senate. We will put a big pause button on this administration because that's what we need to do to save our republic. The Democrats are always talking about, we have to save democracy. We have to save democracy. In fact, there was was a guy on MSNBC, a regular contributor to MSNBC, who appeared on a podcast of another guy who's a regular contributor to MSNBC. And he was telling them that that if the uh, if the Republicans win the midterm elections, that it's all over, baby. It's all over for us. I'll see if I can pull that up and play it for you because it's just insane. It's hideous. These people are unhinged, and they always talk about, oh, it's the it's the end of our democracy. It's a republic, first of all, if you can keep it. But it's also. Uh, <laughs> It's also a hideous suggestion. Nancy Pelosi's always saying, if the Democrats lose the gavel, if this gavel ends up in the hands of a Republican, I fear for everyone. No, you don't. You don't care about anybody but your own self and the hundreds of millions of dollars that you and your husband have been raking in utilizing your position over the past several decades. So much today. Joe Biden's feeling better, and that's a good thing because that means we're not going to have President Kamala Harris right away. Thank God we don't need that. That would be an awful thing. That would be a terrible thing. So uh, Joey actually held a meeting today, another Zoom meeting. He wasn't in person with anybody, but he held the Zoom meeting where um, he was trying to shift gears. The Democrats are trying to pivot. You see, because they've completely forgotten what we remember about their relationship with law enforcement. The Democrats are the party that is behind the entire destruction of respect for law enforcement in this country. And it really started three or four summers ago when de Blasio, the worst mayor in the history of New York, maybe the worst mayor in the history of an American city. I don't know. Chicago's mayor's given de Blasio a pretty good run for that. But Bill de Blasio had the chance to stand behind the men and women of law enforcement when they were being attacked by people with water balloons and buckets of water and super soakers and all kinds of stuff. It was an assault on the cops, but they weren't allowed to do anything about it. And the people on the street became more and more emboldened. And now with the addition of Alvin Bragg, the awful district attorney, who's putting these no-bail policies into effect, who's turning attempted murderers loose on the street, it's no wonder New York is a mess. It's no wonder the cops are leaving in record numbers, not just New York, but Philadelphia and Chicago and many cities around the country. Hell, there was a small town in North Carolina where the entire police force quit last week. 
So the Democrats are pivoting and trying to create a new reality, trying to make it look like they're the pro-cop movement. But we remember that the Democrats are the party that has been saying defund the police forever and ever and ever. So we've been talking about defunding the police. Uh, There's some issues that we ask police to do, like mental health issues or policing in schools and all the rest, that perhaps we can uh, shuffle some of that money around. Suck it up. Defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police. Mayor Eric Garcetti saying, take some of the money from policing, about $150 million. I applaud Eric Garcetti for doing what he's done. So there's seven minutes of this with AOC, and Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi and Cory Bush and Ilhan Omar all talking about taking money away from the police. Seven minutes of it. I won't torture you with it because you'd have to hear the voices of these evil anti-Americans. Seven minutes. And now Joe Biden and his party are trying to come out and say, no, 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 no. No, we never said that. Joan actually never used the phrase defund the police. But he talked about moving money away from the police. How is that not defunding? But today, Joe was holding this uh, Zoom meeting on what it's like to be a cop today, talking about what it's like to be a member of the police force today. He has on his grief man cape, you know, his empathy cape, because that's his only superpower is empathy. And he's there on his uh, big screen with his sniffles, talking about how he really understands the men and women of law enforcement and feels for them and what it's like to be a cop today. It's a hell of a lot harder than it's ever been. We expect to be drug counselors to people overdosing at, at a scene, therapists to couples during a violent confrontation. I was thinking about this. I wonder... I wonder if Joe is flashing back to encounters Hunter may have had with the cops. You have to be able to handle a drug overdose. Then you have to be a therapist to a couple involved in a violent confrontation, a domestic dispute. Hunter and maybe some of his Russian hookers. Hunter and some of the women he's been associated with. Some arguments, domestic disputes. And drug overdoses? Is he talking about his family's experience? Social workers, the kids who have been abandoned. Maybe worst of all, we send you out to do your job on the streets, flooded with weapons of war. If you can't support banning weapons of war on American streets, you're not in the sight of police. On the ballot this year will be whether or not this nation bans assault weapons. Now, let's see if they actually can define an assault weapon. They can't. And if you've watched any of C-SPAN or or followed uh, Congressman Thomas Massey online, you know the guy is the best when it comes to the Second Amendment and trapping the left in their lies. So Joe Biden's going to push a lot of money or try to push a lot of money at cities for law enforcement to put more boots on the ground. That's good. Anytime you give more money to cops, I am all in. I'm just watching to make sure they're not throwing a bunch of woke crap in there, which they have a tendency to do. The left is going to try and pivot. There's this guy, uh, Ryan, Congressman Ryan in uh, Ohio, who's running for the Senate in Ohio against J.D. Vance. 
And it's a neck and neck race. And Ryan, who has voted 90 plus percent for everything Joe Biden and the Democrats pushed, is now starting to sound like a Trump guy trying to say that, oh, yeah, he's his he's worried about China, that China's a, a big threat to us, a big enemy to us. This is what they're going to try and do. They're going to try and sound like Trumpers. And we have to call them out on it. Every chance. Every chance we get. I don't see the guy in uh, Pennsylvania, Fetterman, trying to sound like a Trumper. Uh, he's, he's really far, far left. The guy with the hoodies, he, he wants us to believe he's like a cool guy with the hoodies. I think he's just a poser. And he signed a pledge to eliminate fracking. That should be posted everywhere in oil country, oil and gas country in Pennsylvania. Elect this guy and you're dooming your state to a subservient level. As Donald Trump said this past week, we've become a beggar nation when it comes to energy. So I'm just throwing that out there. The Democrats are trying to rewrite their own history because the history they have is so tainted by their own hatred of this country. We shall see. But the president apparently getting healthier. Good thing, as I said earlier. But uh, we're never going to be able to hear from his doctor. Never. Never going to be able to hear from his doctor. Can you imagine Donald Trump hiding his doctor from the press pool? The media would go nuts. They'd go absolutely nuts just the same way they would if any one of Donald Trump's kids had done a tenth of what Hunter Biden has done. There would be mandatory two-hour press conferences every day to ask questions about the Trump kids, but we're not allowed to ask about Hunter. Oh, he's got a drug problem. No, he's got a drug problem only when he's out of drugs. So back to Joe's doctor. We haven't seen Dr. O'Connor. He's not allowed in the press briefings, but the, uh, the uh, COVID spokesperson, Dr. Ja, the guy who told us that Joe cleaned his plate the other day, which was one of the more ridiculous things I've ever seen in the history of a, a presidential briefing. Uh, this uh, Dr. Ja is insisting that no one's preventing Biden's doctor from the briefing room, really. To follow up on Dr. O'Connor not being here, is this a situation where Dr. O'Connor does not want to come and talk about the president's health or where the president doesn't want Dr. O'Connor talking about his health? I will tell you, I have spoken both to the president and to Dr. O'Connor on an ongoing basis, and neither of them has expressed uh, a preference on either Dr. O'Connor has not at any point said he doesn't want to come. The president has not at any point said he does not want Dr. O'Connor to come. So I, I would say neither of those is correct. Well, we don't have access to the president's doctor. That's a problem. That's a problem. So... Until such time as we actually get a conversation with the president's doctor, uh, then this is a moot point. And I know the press secretary, KGB, wants us all to believe that the, uh, the real issue is that we're not paying attention to the written statements. No, the press doesn't just accept written statements. We want to cross-examine the doctor. This is why we don't support what's going on with the January 6th committee. There's no real fairness here from the people who are always telling us everything is about fairness. Nothing.
The other thing that happened today, which was straight out of Orwell's 1984, was the White House over the weekend redefining the definition of a recession. Now, we have big numbers coming out this weekend, or this Thursday, actually. Thursday, we get the numbers on, on where we are in GDP for the second quarter. The first quarter, the numbers were lower. They went down. And if the economy contracts for a second quarter, that's the generally accepted definition of a recession. It's been said four million times on all sorts of media. But this weekend, the White House released a statement redefining recession. What is a recession? Well, some. Yeah, some. Pretty much almost everybody, you idiots. While some maintain that two consecutive quarters of falling GDP constitute a recession that is neither the official definition nor the way economists evaluate the state of the business cycle. No, that's exactly the way the economists, most of them, an overwhelming majority of them, evaluate the state of the business cycle. It is unlikely that the decline in GDP in the first quarter of this year, even if followed by GDP decline in the second quarter, indicates a recession. They just changed the definition. As I said, George Orwell would be proud. When quizzed about it in the press meeting, KGB was a dutiful, useful idiot. And what is exactly the White House's definition of a recession? Again, we don't, we don't, I'm not going to define it from here. I'm just going to leave it to the NBER, as as we have stated, of how they define uh, recession. I'm just saying that we're just not going to define it. We use the indicators that the NBER, uh, uh, the National Bureau of Economic Research, have, have used. We've mentioned that a few times. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to give you an answer. The answer is we're not going to give you an answer. So you just better shut up. The numbers must be really bad. What's coming Thursday, someone's got to have an indication of what's coming Thursday. Somebody must know. Somebody's got to know. Now, the White House will be crowing about gas prices dropping, and yes, they have gone down. And why have gas prices gone down? It has nothing to do with Joe Biden. It has everything to do with demand. After July 4th, as we end up uh, nearing August, most of the driving time on the summer is done. Demand is way down. So prices come down. But they've come down less than a dollar from where they were over two and a half dollars above when Joe Biden came into office. So is that really a deal? No, it's not. But they're going to keep talking about it. Uh, dropping down 60 or 70 cents when you were up over $2.250 ain't a bargain, sir. I hate to give you that news. So much we have to talk about. Fauci's back in the news, too, Dr. Fauci. There was a, a really good interview over the weekend with Brett Baer from Fox News grilling Fauci like a cheese sandwich. And I lapped it up with a biscuit. I watched the whole thing. And I thought it was fantastic. I like Brett Bear. He asks tough questions, but he asks them without getting rude. And he asks them based on the facts. And Fauci was having a tough time with it. 
But Brett Baird does not give up. That's the one great thing about him. He, he is relentless in all of his questioning. But you're not going to get ever get an honest answer from Dr. Fauci because what we do know, what we do know is back in the end of January of 2020, at the very early days of the pandemic, Fauci got a heads up from one of his cohorts that in fact, the virus looked man-made. And he went into full defense and full shutdown mode. And from that point on, the only person who's really grasped this is Jim Jordan. And this is another reason why I want us to, once again, have control of the House and the Senate, the House particularly, so Jim Jordan can lead a full investigation into Fauci and what his organization did with our tax dollars funding gain-of-function research in places like Wuhan, China. I hope we get that. I can't get into my interview here without making sure we uh, reference the dumb thing Kamala said, because she says something pretty dumb, pretty ridiculous, almost every single day. And she's off on another trip to another taxpayer-funded trip where she's going to Indiana to tell lies about protecting the lives of babies inside their mother's wombs. But, you know, never mind that. But Kamala, over the weekend made another ridiculous statement in the same area, in the same topic. I, I double-clutched when I heard this one. To put it in law, yeah. there may be litigation, but we will be in a much better position than, um, than to not do that. And, you know, listen, women are getting pregnant every day in America, and this is a real issue, and we need to act with a sense of haste about what is at play, what is at stake, So wait a minute. Women are getting pregnant every day in America and and that's a problem for you, Madam Vice President. Women are getting pregnant every day in America and this is a real issue. And it's a real issue. Yeah, it's a wonderful issue. Life. Life being added to our great country. But they look at women getting pregnant as a real issue. These people are very different than you and I. And they're never going to see things from the same perspective, I don't believe. Never at all. Never, 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 ever, ever. Donald Trump was also out and about this past week. He was in Arizona at the end of the week. Then he was in Orlando with Turning Point USA. They had their student action sessions where they had a bunch of young people show up and a whole bunch of great stuff was happening. And uh, Mr. Trump was speechifying. And uh, he also won the straw poll handily, saying that if uh, the presidential race were happening today or the presidential primary among the Republicans were happening today, who would you vote for? Donald Trump almost got 80 percent of the vote, which was a, a, a great thing. A great thing. I I love his policies. I'm still waiting to see if we take back the House and the Senate, I think Trump runs again. If he doesn't, if he doesn't run, I believe it's because we didn't get the House. Because they're just going to keep impeaching him if he starts running again and then he gets elected. But um, Mr. Trump was uh, talking very strongly about what he would do, about how he would handle Washington, D.C. and the swamp and how he would not just drain the swamp this time,
but he would fire the swamp this time. He would fire the swamp to the tune of, I think he said, 50,000 federal workers. Just think about how much money we'd save. You know there are more than 50,000 federal workers who are extraneous. Absolutely. So this is a good thing. Very good thing. And uh, I, I just can't wait to see what happens in Arizona. I can't, see what, I can't wait to see what happens in Wyoming because Liz Cheney, you know, is going to get absolutely destroyed. I do have to play one thing for you. Donald Trump had a, a hilarious takedown of Nancy Pelosi that had the Turning Point USA people basically in tears. It probably doesn't stop because despite the great outside dangers, our biggest threat remains the sick and sinister and very evil people from within our country. Guys like Schiff and people like crazy Nancy Pelosi. She's nuts. I'm telling you, she's a nut job. I mean, you talk about people in politics. Look at her husband. Every time something happens, he goes out and he buys stuff. He's made a lot of money, made a hundred million dollars. She started off with nothing. And she does have a big wall around her house, by the way, even though she fought us like crazy in the wall. But she's crazy. She's nuts. I'm telling you, she's a psycho. Never forget everything this. I mean, how can they allow a person to make all that money and the press barely wants to cover it? It's called inside trading, insider trading. Everything this corrupt establishment is doing to me is all about preserving their power and control over the American people. Bingo. Absolutely right. I agree with him on Nancy Pelosi. She's crazy. She's nuts. She's power hungry. And she has used her position to help her husband rake in hundreds of millions of dollars. And the bill they're going to pass next week about chip manufacturing might pay off quite handsomely to Paul Pelosi. And we still don't have the the cameras, the dash cam cameras from his drunk driving episode. Not a one. Not a one. Okay, I need to wrap up today's little adventure with something light and tasty. There was a story last week about a woman who sued a man for $10,000 because they had a bad date. Yeah. She sued the guy for $10,000 and went to court. And uh, I, I just don't know how it even gets this far. So I brought our friend Wendy Patrick in here to help us discuss this. Wendy Patrick's an attorney, an author, a speaker, a prosecutor. And she's our friend. And she's going to help us break this down. Wendy, 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 thank you for being here. Hey, it's always a pleasure to join you. You always find the best stories, Mike, no matter what topic we're talking about. Well, you know, I think stories find you, you know. They always say that <laughs> you, you attract you attract craziness if you're looking for craziness. And I, I'm always looking for something that's a little bit out there on the fringes, on the perimeter. And when I saw the story about a case which actually made it into a courtroom even though it was a Zoom courtroom or a virtual courtroom, whatever you want to call it, of a, a woman in Michigan suing a guy for a bad date. I thought, my God, I would be in court in my unsupervised years every single week if I was sued for a bad date. Have, have you, Wendy Patrick, ever had a date where you thought, I, I should sue this person because this date was so bad? 
I've actually never had a date that was that bad where I considered bringing a lawsuit. I'm not quite sure the way I would phrase my cause of action if I were to bring such a lawsuit. But I also, as a lawyer for golf over 27 years, recognize not all lawsuits make sense to the rest of us. And you queued this case up just beautifully. You have a woman really raising eyebrows after suing a man for standing her up on a date. Uh, And actually, there was some litigation of the issue as well, which I think is even more interesting. uh, Let's put it that way. Um, But really did uh, really kind of shed some light on the fact that, you know, lawsuits are not the answer for everything and i suppose this is a prime example yeah i think so you know um my my other legal icon is judge judy who's fond of yelling at ignorant people with dumb cases not everything is a lawsuit (laughs) <laughs> you know, I know you're a Judge Judy fan, and I, I've seen enough episodes to recognize that she really tries to bring a bit of common sense into the types of things that people are upset over. And, you know, lots of my colleagues have gone on to be mediators to try to get people to just settle their differences in a fashion that isn't so adversarial and expensive, not to mention tying up precious resources, especially post-pandemic. Yeah, that's what I was most amazed at, the fact that this actually got to a courtroom. And uh, I, I wonder, aren't there, I guess, loopholes or filters through which these kind of proceedings have to pass in order to get to a judge? It would seem like you have to fill out the paperwork, file whatever it is, 25 bucks filing fee or whatever. And then someone's going to look at it and look at you and go, listen, this is not really a court case. This is like a a bad night. You should write it off. We don't have time for this. We're dealing with inflation, pandemics, other things going on, divorces, you know, neighbors who are tearing down fences, whatever. Isn't there something like that, a gatekeeper? Yeah, you know, um, you can't file the not you can't file non-meritorious charges. I guess that's probably the the best way to put it. There's, you know, lawyers are held to ethics codes that says, you know, you have to bring meritorious cases, but that's defined so broadly. You know, that's the out here. It's one thing to say, oh, you can't file frivolous litigation. Everybody knows that. But what's frivolous? And what is a judge going to believe is frivolous? So this case was, I want to say litigated kind of in air quotes, because it was quite a showdown with the judge and this plaintiff kind of going at each other. She was eliciting, you know, that this was, he was perjuring himself, the the potential guy that wanted to go on the date and um, that he lied and it should be something that's actionable. The judge was explaining, no, perjury has to be under oath. It was just kind of reminded me of, you know, when people just talk past each other without any appreciation or understanding of what the other person is saying, I think all of our listeners, I mean, we've all done that, haven't we? You know, you're angry or you're arguing with a friend or a family member and nobody's listening to each other. You know, sometimes cases where emotions are high, like in a dating context, that's sometimes the way they end up in court, too. It's not a good place to be. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to play a little clip from the uh, hearing, and I'm using air quotes with my fingers because, again, this 
This happened virtually. And it's, it's neither one of them was hearing what the other person was saying. Let's go ahead and hear it. Very good. But this is the judge talking to the defendant, Richard Jordan. And I just love this statement because this is how I would have been. This is my my reaction would have been the same as Mr. Jordan's. Check this out. Mr. Jordan, let me just ask you this. Are you planning to uh, represent yourself on this? Uh, I, I, to be honest with you, sir, I, I, I thought this was just going to be thrown out. Uh, it was, we had a date, one date and nothing else after that. And now I'm being sued for $10,000. I, that alone <laughs> tells you, I think everything you need to know, this guy seems astonished. Your honor, we had one date. And now I'm being sued for $10,000 and she's claiming perjury. He was as incredulous about it as I was. And, and, and then this apparently gets moved from uh, this court because he said, you know, we, we can't handle this. Perjury has to happen under oath. Now, I have to ask you, Wendy, the judge told the woman, Miss Short, that uh, perjury has to happen under oath. So he couldn't have perjured himself promising things on the date. Uh, what if she had made him take an oath and swear that, that that everything he promised was going to happen? Could he? she have sued him for perjury then? No, you know, that you, you when you look at perjury, you're normally talking about somebody that is before a, an official body of some kind. You know, it can be Congress, it can be a courtroom, this type of a thing. Um, sometimes you have things that are notarized and things that are in writing. I mean, there's a whole host of of, opera, of uh, examples, but this really isn't one of them. When you have people that are talking to each other and somebody, you know, uh, allegedly lies, that's not something that's actionable, not legally. And and you know, the judge was explaining, gosh, very well exactly why this isn't perjury. But you know, when people are emotional and they're upset and they're angry. They're not listening to what the other side is saying. You know, we talk about this every time there's been some sort of a protest that turns into a riot, every time there's a reaction to a court hearing. You know, emotion's a powerful thing, and not one of us is immune from the from becoming under the influence occasionally. I'll, I'll put it that way. Because when, when we become um, sort of caught up in the moment, well, I mean, the heat of passion overtakes us. Sometimes we're not listening to what other people are saying. And as you mentioned, um, it, that's exactly what this air quote hearing <laughs> was about. Maybe it was a hearing, but nobody was listening. Let's put it that way. Well, what bothers me is it's going to go to another court. They're going to take this up the food chain. This judge kind of told her, hey, I got nothing here. You got nothing here. Uh, this belongs in a different courtroom. So now we're going to waste another court and, and both of these I, people are going to be yeah. there? I understand it's being um, transferred to circuit court, yeah. but I, I really think that this case isn't going anywhere. But you're right. Nobody wants to even have to deal with it. And I think that the defendant uh, in this case, the, the man that went on a date with this woman, I think that was probably encapsulated in his preliminary remarks that he was almost incredulous that it had gotten as far as it had. <laughs> I think a lot of people share his sentiment. I just wonder, uh, you know, fast forward, it goes through uh... – the next court and then the next court, this woman keeps appealing and they're up in front of the yeah. Supreme Court. And she's going, uh, justices, 
This is this is injustice that's been done to no, me. No, <laughs> that is not where this is headed. I can I can tell you that with all certainty. <laughs> well, maybe they get the who's ever left from the Supremes together, and she could argue it in front of the Supremes court, and they could sing right. her out, say, "Hit the road, Jane! Don't you come back right. no more, no more." Oh, it's a uh, it's a crazy case. But you you brought up a point. I want to put a button on our discussion here with it. That uh, perjury shows up everywhere, you know, as has been um, alleged in many, many different places. And uh, last night's uh, January 6th final hearing, at least I hope it's the last hearing. I hope this America's long nightmare with this committee is over. But uh, (laughs) if somebody told them something in a deposition and then told them something completely different in a live testimony... That's perjury under what you defined, is it not? Well, it depends. You know, a lot of times um, you have inconsistent statements. That would be an example of an inconsistent statement. But is it perjury? Remember, perjury, you have to willfully lie. Lots of times people change their testimony based on new information, changing their opinion, changing their mind. I mean, you know, I've spent a quarter of a century trying to cross-examine expert witnesses based on their prior deposition transcripts, and they always explain their opinion has evolved. You you can never nail them down. So there are a lot of reasons people change their stories uh, that don't have to do with perjury. But if you can prove wrongful intent, then yes, you can prove perjury, and many times you can, but it's not as easy as one would think without actually looking into why the story is different. I see. And this is why I love talking to Wendy Patrick. I get entertained and I always learn something and you should follow Wendy. She's great on Twitter. Wendy Patrick, PhD. Her website is wendypatrickphd.com and she's always writing cool stuff on psychology today as well. Thank you, my friend. That was wonderful. Uh, Thank you so much. 